Let's pray together. As we do, I just want to return to the scripture that Missy read for us a, a bit earlier, just at the beginning of this last set of worship songs. That passage is the inauguration, the public inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had left his trade as a carpenter. He had spent that time in the wilderness being tempted, and now he had stepped into, at God's direction, the spotlight. And that's why he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then I loved just the, the verse that comes next in Luke 4.22, when it says that after he said this, that all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And I just want to invite us to, as we go to God's word, we know we're listening to, to one among us, one who, just a human, speaking God's word as that always is, but it is through the preaching of God's word, the reading of God's word, that in a very real spiritual way, the, the words of Jesus can fall upon our hearts, can enter into our lives, and, and as the words of Jesus, as they fall as it were, from his lips to our lives and our hearts. There's so much power there. We've just sung of the holiness of God, and then we sang of the goodness of God. Now we're singing of the, the love of God and of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all of that and more is wrapped up in who he is, and all of that and more is wrapped up in what he wants to and what he is able to do in our lives today. And so as I go to prayer, I just want to invite you in the quietness of your own heart right now just to if, if this is where you are, just to say, Lord, my heart is open to receive from you today. Just tell him that much, not what you want to receive from him, what you think you need to receive. He always knows better than we do. But just to acknowledge before him, before we open up the scriptures and preach and hear, to let him know that if your heart is open, that, that it is and you're ready to receive Father, if all we do here today is sing some pretty songs and listen to someone talk, Father, we could do that anywhere, and we could do that anytime, and, and it might encourage us for a little while, it might give us some things to think about, but Father, we have come today expecting more. Father, we have come today, we are coming today asking for more than pretty songs and helpful words. Father, what we're desirous of, and if we're not what we should be, is a personal encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Knowing that you are Abba Father, you are the Almighty God, that Jesus, your precious Son, is our Savior and, and our friend, and, and understanding that having given our lives to you, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and chooses to move among us. Father, we have every right, though we do not do so presumptuously, we do so boldly when we say, Lord, move in this place today. Move in our hearts. Speak to us about the things where we need comfort. Speak to us in the places where we need conviction. Father, work through our stubbornness and turn it into openness. Father, work in our neediness and fill us up to overflowing. Father, we can't do any of that. We could stay here all day. We could stay here all week. In our own strength, it'll never happen. But by the Holy Spirit, it can happen now. So, Father, we ask right now as we go to your word that the precious words of Jesus would fall down on us, cascade over us, would assure us whether we came expecting it or not, whether we came wanting it or not, would assure us that we, in fact, today are getting to hear from you. And, Father, when we hear from you, we are changed by you. 
So, Father, as always, we ask what we want. We want to ask now what we always ask at this time, which is that by the power and the presence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would guide us in truth. That with the power of the Holy Spirit, you would guard and, and, and shield us from error. Father, that with the Holy Spirit's help, you'll deliver us from distraction. And Father, through the power and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would open our, the eyes of our heart and help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching of your word. May we see Jesus only this morning in the preaching of your word. And when we walk out these doors in a little while, Father, may it be with hope renewed and joy restored, courage deepened, conviction strengthened, not because we came to church and had a nice time, but because we gathered as God's people and met with Jesus. Father, it is your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we seek. It is your Son, the Lord Jesus, whom we serve. It is your Son, the Lord Jesus, whom we love. And it is your Son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray as all God's people say together, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are being seated, boys and girls, you're dismissed for Children's Church. As always, a time for them to get out, uh, go spend some time in the Word as we aim to do the same. And, and I want you right now just to go ahead and take your Bible because we're going to get right to it, the reading of Scripture this morning. And I want you to turn in your Bible and meet me in Acts chapter 16. I want you to go in your Bible to Acts chapter 16 where we are continuing uh, this series, this really mini-series of messages. It's going to be one of several mini-series over the next several months called Can I Get a Witness? And again, as it says on the screen, this is part of our evangelism shift initiative. And, and not only now are you hearing about it in the, in the time we are preaching as we are learning what God's Word says about living as witnesses uh, a little bit earlier, and I appreciate it so much. We heard from Maureen in person and, and Helen by video. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by the things they're sharing. Because as I have said the past several weeks, and I am, am going to say in our study of God's Word again today, the essence of what evangelism shift, what this initiative is all about is very, very simple. It is learning with the Lord's help how to meet someone where they are spiritually and help them take the next step. That's what Maureen said she was doing with her grandchildren, just taking a step, meeting them where they are, young kids, and, and teaching them, showing them what it means to seek Jesus in prayer. That's what Helen's saying in her video, a, a surprise encounter, but she met someone where they, are, where they were, and God helped her to help them to take the next step. And that's what God wants to do in and through us as well. So I can't encourage you enough not only to continue tracking with us here, but 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 respond to, to the invitation that, that Maureen was giving us here to sign up for, to look into what it means to be part of a life-to-life -life group because that's where as much as I'm going to try to do in the preaching to talk to us about these principles, to preach from the Word, to preach the Word about them, we all need to dig in deeper and, and, and at another level come together and learn what it's all about. So fill out that card or go to the back table, whatever it takes because we want as many of our church family as possible to be part of this. In fact, I think I mentioned last week our youth group, but they're already a week ahead of us. They started this week. Our adult volunteers are taking our students through evangel the evangelism shift training and, uh, and equipping them to live as witnesses. And so if they can do it, we can do it, and we're going to. And so take that to heart. Uh, get after that there. But now we're going to look at it from God's Word this morning. As I said, I want you to meet me in Acts chapter 16. 
And as we did last week, we are dropping down here in Acts chapter 16 into a program already in progress. There's a story that's been unfolding here. And I'm going to, so it's going to, as I start reading, it's going to sound abrupt, but I, I assure you that as we work our way through the message, I'm going to fill in the backstory so we know what's going on here. But I really just want us to zero in on the following four or five verses as the heart of, of what I think God wants us to look into today. So I'm going to read Acts 16. Verses 11 through 15, Luke is the author of Acts. He's the one writing. He is among the we that he is going to refer to, along with the Apostle Paul, with his associate Timothy, and his missionary partner Silas. The four of them are together. And here's what Luke tells us about them in this instance. He says, So putting out to sea from Troas, Luke 16, 11, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the next day following excuse me, to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, on paper, I want to begin this morning by saying this is one of the most ordinary conversion stories you're ever going to hear. This is one of the most ordinary conversion stories to Jesus Christ, really, I think, perhaps of all time. Because if you think about it, this conversion story recorded for us in the book of Acts involved no miraculous work of healing. Nobody had any demons that were exercised. There was no phenomenal Holy Spirit-inspired sermon that was preached in advance of it. Nothing of the sort is recorded for us in the story because we're led to believe nothing of the sort happened on this occasion. In fact, to take it even a step further, I think we could rightly say in looking at this story that even before opening her heart up to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lydia is by all outward appearances and evidence, a lady who already had her act together. As we're going to see this morning, she was wealthy. As we're going to discern this morning, she was influential. In fact, if you look again at verse 14, it actually says she was already to some degree a worshiper of God. And upon hearing, Luke tells us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says she simply and quietly trusted him. Which, as I thought about that over the past several days, led me to consider the following question. Why in the world did Luke want us to know this story? This most ordinary, most simple, you might even call it easy pickings of of, of evangelistic opportunities. I mean, she was ready, and she believed. And of all the things that surely he must have seen, even there in Philippi, traveling with Paul and all the other conversion stories, why is this one here? Well, as always with the Bible, I'm sure there are several answers to that question. But there's one answer to that question that I am sure of, and which I believe can help us here this morning in our quest to discover 
what it means and what it takes to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Because by way of review, here's what we've learned so far over the past couple of Sundays. First of all, we have learned, and you're going to need to remember this, that if you're saved, you are sent. By definition, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you are, in your new identity, automatically sent out into the world to live as a witness for Jesus Christ. To be saved is to be sent. What we also talked about last week, and this came probably as no surprise to any of us, but it is nonetheless true and worth saying that to live out your sentness takes a good deal of boldness. Most of us aren't naturally. Maureen said it, and I would agree. I I could add my amen. We are not naturally or even by spiritual gifting evangelists. Most of us don't find it easy to take a conversation with an unbeliever and begin talking about Jesus. It takes boldness. That's why we talked about and ultimately concluded last week that to live as a witness boldly is a matter of prayer. Daily seeking God for the boldness we need. And with all of that said by way of review, this morning as we take our next step forward, I want you to know I've got some good news to share with you, okay? To be saved is to be sent. To be sent takes boldness. To be bold takes prayer. But that's not the whole story. Because in living as witnesses for Jesus Christ, which again means meeting someone where they are and helping them with God's grace, with God's direction to take the next step, You and I, each and every one of us, in living that out, have a powerful ally. In fact, we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing ally. He is the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see as we dig into God's Word this morning is that the Holy Spirit, the unseen power of the Holy Spirit is always, everybody say always, is always at work when we are talking with someone about Jesus. We're never in the conversation alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. And that is why, as ordinary as Lydia's story may seem to us on the surface, what we're going to discover, or what I hope we're going to discover, if I do my job in preaching and you do your job in listening and God helps us to put two and two together, what we're going to discover in God's Word this morning are that actually, despite all ordinary outward appearances, there were three miracles that occurred in this story. There are three miraculous things at work in this story And if we're going to live as witnesses, we need to know what they are. So the first one is this. In verses 11 through 13, the first miracle that occurred in this conversation is, well, not simply, but is this, and we need to recognize it. It was divinely orchestrated. This conversation, this conversion story was miraculously, divinely orchestrated. You know, if If as a Christian this morning, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, and honestly, if you take your Bible seriously at all, at some point you have to wrestle with and and settle on, you have little choice but other than to believe in the providence of God. In the fact that God is sovereign. In the fact that, that God is in control of everything. That he is not only the designer and the creator of the universe and everything in it. He is the director and the controller of the universe and everything in it. You may remember last week in Acts 4, that's how the church prayed. They said, O Lord God of heaven and earth, of all the stars in the heaven and all the little fishies in the sea and everything in between. You're the one in charge of this. If you take your Bible seriously, you must recognize God is a sovereign God. 
He's the God of providence. However, it's my observation that most of the time when we as believers talk about the providence of God, we do it in, in the respect and the sense of what is hard for us to reconcile, which is how do we reconcile the providence of a good, loving, sovereign God with the fact that we go through trials and troubles and tragedy? If God is so good, if God is in control, the question is often asked, why would he let that happen? And so when we talk about God's providence, that tends to be, as believers, where we go. And understand, that's a good question. It's a legitimate question. It's a question we must learn to work through. But it's not the only part of God's providence. Not at all. In fact, I think we need to, to look at the other side of that coin Yes, there are challenging implications of God's providential orchestration of the world and everything in it, but I would submit to you there are also glorious implications of God's sovereign orchestration of the world and everything in it. For example, consider the story here. Consider how this story came about. I want to take the time. I hope this doesn't seem tedious, but I want to walk you through it. First of all, from Paul's perspective. Paul and his missionary band. And so I want to, yeah, I want to throw this map up here. And just If this helps, if you can even see it, I hope you can see it. But, but just taking a look at this map, here's the story. If we were to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 16. Paul, in this story, and his missionary companions are on what came to be known as his second missionary journey. He began in Antioch, over here, all the way on the far right, that little red dot of Antioch. He began with Silas. We believe Luke was also with him at that time. And they began setting out. Their plan was to set out for Tarsus and Derbe and Iconium and Lystra, coming up, up to the north and then over to the west, visiting churches they'd planted before, encouraging believers, preaching the gospel, we assume leading other people to faith in Jesus Christ. And when they landed in Lystra, Timothy, young man by the name of Timothy, Acts 16 tells us, joined the team. And there, now as a band of four, they continued on. Now, if we were to take the time to read all of Acts 16, what we would discover is that after picking up Timothy and Lystra, Paul and the team, they wanted to go north toward Galatia. For whatever reason, they felt like that's where they ought to go. But Luke says in Acts 16 that in some way that isn't shown to us, God said, no, I don't want you to go this way. I've got another plan for you. And so instead, he began to send them, as that little green line says, continue on to the west all the way over to Troas. Now, when they landed in Troas, when they arrived in Troas, I want you to look at Acts 16, 9 and 10. This is very important. It says, after coming down to Troas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And that vision was a man of Macedonia, a man across the water, a man over in Europe, who was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding what? Well, that God had called us to preach the gospel there to them. So according to verse 11, that's why they put out to sea from Troas. They ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, essentially they took a 150-mile ocean voyage in two days, then they landed at Neapolis, and verse 12 says they went on from there to Philippi, which would have been a 10-mile walk on foot. Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and they were staying in this city for some days. Now, look in your Bible at verse 13. 
And on the Sabbath day, several days after they arrived, we, Luke says, the four of us, went outside, to the, the, outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. Now, the reason they did that, the reason they're suppo- they supposed there'd be a little prayer meeting down by the riverside is because in any city, Philippi was a, was a Gentile city. There weren't many Jews there, and as such, there wasn't a synagogue. And Jewish tradition said, anytime there's a city without a synagogue, but there are Jews who want to worship, tradition said, you meet under the open sky by a body of water. I don't know why those were the parameters, but I guess that just meant when Saturday morning, Sabbath morning comes, that's where you go meet with your fellow Jews to worship the Lord. So they woke up, they knew there wasn't a synagogue, they went down to the riverside, because that was what they understood they were supposed to do. Now look again at verse 13. It says, And upon arriving there, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled there, among whom was this woman named Lydia. Now, what we need to know about Lydia is she wasn't a native of Philippi either. She hadn't spent her whole life there. Instead, verse 14 tells us that she was from a place called Thyatira. Just hit that, Jeff, and it'll appear there on the map for us. Also, kind of over in that area where Paul and his companions were, were traveling as well. But she wasn't a native of Philippi either. And, and, and furthermore, while she wasn't a full convert to Judaism, as best as we can tell... Well, it just so happened that while she was there in Philippi, she met a group of like-minded women who wanted to worship the Jewish God too, who just so happened to travel down to the riverside that Sabbath morning to do just that, to pray and to worship God together, when it just so happened that the Apostle Paul and his missionary friends showed up, meeting them where they were, meeting them as they were, not knowing it was going to happen, but meeting them where they were and as they were. And what did they do? They just told them the story of Jesus. They met them where they were. They met them as they were. Told them the good news about Jesus. And, and I would say to you this morning that while the, that miracle of orchestration, getting Paul and his company from Antioch and getting Lydia, uh, this businesswoman from Thyatira, Somehow over in Philippi, on the same day, at the same time, was a divine orchestration. It's not a flashy miracle like telling a a lame man to rise and walk. It's not something that's going to get everybody's attention like restoring sight to the blind or hearing to the deaf or raising someone from the dead, all these miracles we see in other places. But I submit to you it was no less miraculous And while it wasn't the only reason God sent Paul to Philippi, it was one of the reasons. Because on that day, at that place, that woman was ready. And she needed someone who knew Jesus to tell her about Jesus. The reason I take the time to walk us through that tedious history lesson, perhaps, but the reason I do is because, think about this, the same goes for you. The very same goes for you. Listen, I don't know how the the precise moment or day unfolded when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. But if there's been a day in your life, when you, a moment in your life, when you gave your life to him, it, it didn't just happen then. It didn't just come about out of nowhere. I want you to think for a moment. And as best as you're able to think, then begin to marvel at all the pieces on the chessboard of your life, so to speak, that God had been moving into place in advance. 
to prepare you and whoever told you for that divinely orchestrated encounter. Because he did that for you. There were people, there were places, there were trials and troubles in your life perhaps. There were things God did to prepare your heart, to to move you along. Now for some of us, maybe it happened when we were young and it happened very, very quickly. For others of us, it took a long, long time. But God is moving all these things in advance so at just the right moment, just the right person was there to tell you what you needed to know and you could trust Christ and be saved. That's what God did for you. The same thing that he did for Lydia. And I say to you, we won't know the half of what that involved this side of heaven. But when we get to heaven, we'll see it and we will say, wow, that's how much he he cares for me. That's how much his goodness was running after me. Furthermore, the same goes when you bear witness to someone else. When God gives you a divine appointment, a hurting man at a dollar store, grandchildren in the back seat of a car, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, a stranger, chance encounters aren't chance. God is orchestrating in advance. And here's what I want you to, here's the thought I'm trying to convey to you here just in this And taking a look at at what I call this first miracle is this. If God puts you in the position to in any way at all bear witness, to meet someone where they are and try to take them the next step or help them take their next step in a journey toward faith in Christ, he's way, way, way ahead of you. He orchestrated it all in advance. And you don't have to fear anything. You just have to enter into it. Say what he tells you to say. Ask him for the boldness that you need. Listen, around here at Maranatha, we kid a lot about coincidences. And the reason we kid about coincidences is because we know with God there's no such thing as a coincidence. There's always divine orchestration. And every opportunity God gives us to talk about Jesus is one of them. That's the first thing we need to see in this story. This was a, a miracle of divine orchestration that brought Lydia and Paul to the moment of her salvation. There's a second miracle, though. The first one sort of looks back at what led up to Lydia's conversion experience. The second one begins to look ahead. And what I'd say to you is this. The second miracle that occurred in this story at Lydia's conversion was, it. secondly, it ignited a revolution. It was an act of divine orchestration, and then having been orchestrated and acted upon, it ignited a revolution. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the movie Field of Dreams? All right, if you're in Iowan and you haven't seen Field of Dreams, I can't help you, okay? You've just got to go home and watch it. But if you've seen it, you may recall there's one particular scene about about halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way into the movie. And if you recall how the story unfolds, there's a a journey that, that the characters played by Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones take. They go from Boston, they go to some little podunk village in Minnesota where one evening they have a mystical experience with old Doc Graham, uh, the, the city doctor who served there for generations. And after having this mystical experience, this conversation with him, they go back to their ramshackle little motel room and they begin talking about what that happened and what that was all about. And ultimately one of them asks the other the question, so the question that they began wrestling with is this. Can, can one inning of baseball change the world? 
Now, the reason they asked that question is because when old Doc Graham was, was a young man known as Moonlight Graham, he had a shot at the majors. And, and he got to play one inning of baseball as a young man. And, and he never got to, take the, he got to take the field, but he never got to bat and, and never got a hit. And, and, and without getting further into the story, they asked the question, could that one inning, could any one inning of baseball change the world? To which James Earl Jones said it did for these people. Because... If Moonlight Graham would have gotten a hit, maybe he would have stayed in baseball. Maybe he would have made a career out of it. Maybe he would have become an all-star, and maybe he would have never come back home. But he didn't get a hit, and he didn't make it in the big leagues, and so he came back to his little podunk Minnesota village, and for generations was the town doctor, and he changed countless lives because of that one inning of baseball. And the reason I take the time to share that with you is not only because I love that movie, but because the same basic question fits here. Can one little prayer meeting change the world? Can one little Riverside prayer meeting, a handful of women and four traveling missionaries, change the world? The answer is yes. The answer is an emphatic yes. It did for Lydia, didn't it? I mean, she walked into that meeting lost and she walked away from it found. It did if you look closely at verse 15, not just for Lydia, but also for her household. When she and her household, I don't know if that means a family, I don't know if that means business associates or, or, or what, but it says after she and her household, they believed they were baptized. And it not only did that for Lydia and her household, it also changed the world for what eventually became, through that conversion experience, through that prayer meeting, one of Paul's most beloved local churches of all, the Philippian church. He writes a letter to them. They're some of his favorite people. They're a generous congregation. And, and the Bible suggests and, and, and church tradition backs up that it was in Lydia's spacious home that that church began and, and got off the ground. It was a revolutionary prayer meeting. But the revolution didn't stop there. Because the revolution ignited by Lydia's otherwise very ordinary conversion... She's ready for Jesus. She receives Jesus. It was bigger than all of that. Because best as anyone's able to tell, when you look at the scriptures and then you look at church history, this woman, Lydia, there by the riverside, was the first person on the entire continent of Europe to ever give their life to Jesus Christ. See, that jump across the sea on the map earlier, that took them out of Asia where the church had been over into Europe, and no one had taken the gospel to Europe before. That's the area of Greece. And, and she's the first person to ever give her life to Jesus Christ there. Meaning, so to speak, that every European who's ever given their life to Jesus Christ. And by extension, the Europeans who took that gospel of Jesus Christ to the new world and wherever else they took it, they can trace their spiritual lineage back to that prayer meeting by the riverside. And one woman, one ordinary woman who gave her life to Jesus Christ, that decision literally changed the world. It also, if you know a little bit about history as well, ancient history, spiritually speaking, was the first straw that was laid upon and ultimately led to the downfall of the Roman Empire. Because one day, around 300 A.D., 
Christianity went from being the outlaw religion to the official religion. And I know there's all sorts of messed up stuff contributing to that, but but what took its place was, was Christianity from that prayer meeting. Listen to how Kent Hughes puts it, because he says it better than I can. He says, quote, On that day, God opened the heart of one woman in a colonial extension of Rome, and that city became a mighty beachhead for God. One woman's heart in Philippi doomed the flag of the Roman Empire. And I don't know about you, but I kind of sort of think that such knowledge... Such an understanding ought to transform our view of living as witnesses. Of what God can do if we are simply obedient. To talk to someone else about Jesus Christ. It ought to transform our view of living as witnesses. And listen, I am the chief chicken among chickens when it comes to sharing my faith in Jesus Christ. It's really easy to do right here because you expect it. But it's just as scary for me anywhere else. But I think when we know that these are the kind of things that our God does, it ought to change our view of living as a witness from from an obligation that is fraught with fear and trembling and how am I going to mess it up and what if I don't know the answer and and they probably don't want to listen to me anyway to a thrilling adventure to where as we share Christ with others, we have no idea what God's going to do. Paul didn't strut down to the riverside knowing he was going to change the world that day. He was just looking for a place to pray. God changed the world. That's a miracle. It was a miracle of divine orchestration. It was a miracle, secondly, that ignited a revolution. And then thirdly, perhaps most obviously, but as I'm going to say to you in a moment, I believe most important of all, the third miracle at that prayer meeting by the riverside is that it changed a life. It was divinely orchestrated, ignited a revolution, But the most important thing of all is it changed one human life. Look at verse 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, there are two important things for our purposes this morning to note in verse 14. The first is what it doesn't say. Because what this verse interestingly doesn't say is how Paul shared the gospel with her. There's no Romans road, there's no four spiritual laws, there's no three undeniable truths of life or whatever it is that we use to share the gospel. We have no idea what Paul said. And you know, as I thought about it, I thought that's okay, because listen, by definition, if I'm a Christian, I already know the gospel. (laughs) If I don't know the gospel, I'm not a Christian. Those two things go together. Now, we may not be comfortable expressing it, we may not feel eloquent in doing so, but but Paul just, knowing the gospel, he somehow shared Jesus with her. And the verse doesn't tell us how. And I think the reason it doesn't is because we would then turn it into a formula and market it on infomercials in the middle of the night. Here's how to lead people to Christ. Follow these steps and you're in. And God doesn't want us to do that. So it doesn't say how Paul shared the gospel. But what verse 14 does say, this is the second and the more important thing to notice, what it does say is this. That having been orchestrating the details of her life long before Paul and and the rest of the guys spread their blanket out on the riverside next to her. Verse 14 says this. This is the most important phrase in the entire passage. That it was the Lord who opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart 
to receive the things and respond to the things spoken by Paul. And what I want to say to you this morning is what I've been trying to say to myself the last couple of days, is that as we grapple with our call to live as witnesses for Jesus, those are words that ought to fall on us like fresh rain on dry soil. That the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel. Because here's what it means. It means when you find yourself in a divinely orchestrated moment, an opportunity where, uh uh-oh, I think, maybe, I'm going to talk to somebody here, meet them where they are, and maybe I'm going to get to do something to help them take the next step. You know what it means, the fact that the Lord opened her heart? It means your sweaty palms don't matter. It means your fumbling, stumbling words are irrelevant. Because it's not your job or mine to open anybody's heart up to the gospel. We don't have to persuade. We don't have to cajole. We don't have to inflict guilt. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to remember a sequence of things. And if I left point three out, i got to back up and say it again. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Only God can open a heart to receive the gospel by faith. And when he wants to, he will. And when it's not time, he won't. What I'm saying to you is this. God doesn't need your eloquence. God needs your obedience. God doesn't need my eloquence, such as it may be. He needs my obedience. And listen, I I would say that despite sort of the wow factor of Lydia being the first European convert and all that that led to and the ramifications of that still today, this is the greatest miracle of all. One changed life is the greatest miracle of all because if what the Bible says is true about sin, we are dead in it, we are slaves to it, we are objects of wrath, and we're destined for hell apart from Jesus, if those things are true, and they are, then what could possibly be a greater miracle than being delivered from that? From putting your faith in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice at the cross, the fact of his resurrection from the dead. What could possibly be more miraculous that at the very moment we accept that news as good news, as good news that we believe that we are sinners for whom Christ died, that we are delivered from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Listen, if you're a believer, that miracle's already happened in your life, and it's the biggest miracle you're ever going to get. You may get some other cool stuff, but this is the one that matters most. And we have the opportunity We have the mandate to come alongside others and perhaps maybe witness the miracle in their life too. Again, not because we're eloquent, but simply because we are obedient. You can be the instrument through whom God saves a human soul. A number of years ago, New York Times ran an article, a story. The story was about a British gentleman, a a wealthy British gentleman who bought his first Rolls Royce. And he was proud of that Rolls Royce. And and he drove it off the lot, and he he took the Rolls Royce home, and and he began, he was a studious sort of guy, true story, he began just to to study his car inside and out. And, And he began to go through the manual and trying to learn all sorts of things about it. And as he did that, as he studied the car itself, as he went through the owner's manual and whatever else he had with him, there was one piece of information that he could not seem to find. One detail he really wanted to know that he couldn't locate, and it was this. It was the horsepower of the engine in his Rolls-Royce automobile. He wanted to know the horsepower of it, and he couldn't find it anywhere. So he called the dealer. 
He said, listen, I just drove this Rolls Royce off, off the lot, and, and I love the car, and, and, and I'd just like to know, you know, what's the horsepower of the engine? What can this thing do? And, and he was informed through that conversation that the Rolls Royce Corporation has a policy of never disclosing the horsepower of their cars. And they said, so we're not going to tell you because we can't. Well, that, of course, only stoked his curiosity more. So he, so he wrote a letter to the president of the company asking, he said, listen, I paid for this car, right? I paid a lot of money for this car, and I just want to know one thing, the horsepower of this car. So he wrote the letter, sent it off in the mail. A couple days later, he gets a response from the Rolls-Royce Corporation, a written response consisting of one word, and that word was this, adequate. It is enough. We're not going to tell you what it is, but you can trust. It is adequate. And I believe the same can be said and then some for the unseen power of the Holy Spirit, who is your partner in living as a witness. He's my partner in living as a witness. He's your kid's partner in living as a witness. He is with us, and he can help us meet someone where they are who does not yet know Jesus and take the next step. It might be their first step. It might be their final step. It probably is going to be one of the steps in between. But that's why the, the big idea of the message this morning is it really just comes down to this. When we live as witnesses, again, obedience when we live as witnesses, God works in people's hearts every time, whether we see it or not. When we live as witnesses, God works in people's hearts. All he wants us to do is obey. Father, I thank you that when we, Father, when we look at your word, uh, we see how great you are how worthy you are. Father, we also, when we look at your words, see and are reminded how very much we need you. And Father, that especially in an instance like this, in, in this sort of case of, of living as witnesses, Father, that, that it's okay that we need you so much. And the best thing we can do is declare our neediness. Father, for you to help us see what's really going on in someone's life, that, that we can discern how to take an ordinary conversation about sports or the weather or school or the coronavirus or whatever it is and turn it into, you can turn it into a divine appointment where we can point someone in the direction of Jesus. Father, I think we'd all like to, to really just have the, the attitude, the heart of John the Baptist who said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And yet even so, we know John the Baptist had a job to do and he did it. And you used him in a mighty way. Father, help us just in our own hearts to choose to be obedient to your call. Father, help us to, to willingly take the place of a servant that Jesus might increase, that we might decrease, but at the same time that we might willingly step into the adventure of living as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the miracle of salvation. Thank you for so many in the room today have experienced that miracle, and they will never, we will never be the same because of it. And Father, for those around us, maybe even those this morning among us who don't yet know you, we pray that their day of salvation is approaching quickly. And that Lord, even today, even this week, if you want to use us, even if we haven't been through the training, even if we haven't learned all the principles, we have the gospel, 
and we have the Holy Spirit, and that's enough. Father, take the things of truth that we have considered here this morning and seal them up in our hearts and let all the rest slip away so that we look only to Jesus as we go from here. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.